good evening. How are you all doing tonight? Sweaty worship is good worship, I gotta say. So. <laughs> all right, guys, tonight we're gonna be in 1 Peter chapter 2, looking at verses 18 through 21. And what we're gonna be looking at is how to be a good worker, a good employee. But more than just being a good employee, being one that furthers the gospel of Jesus Christ. Now, by show of hands, if you feel like showing your hands, how many of you love your job? Wow. Okay, one, two, three. Okay, <laughs> all right. A handful, right? Keeping an eye out for my staff members. Did they raise their hands? Did they? Right? I love my job. I love being a pastor. I love being able to, to teach the Word of God and being able to be a part of, of just, just shepherding in your lives and ministering to you guys. And, you know, I absolutely love it. But, you know, I've had jobs in the past that I didn't love so much, jobs that I wasn't that fond of. You know, in my life, I've worked in retail, which is just so fun. I've worked in food service, merchandising, serving tables, tech support, IT I had a boss once that was so unorganized. She would call us and say, hey, I need you to drive to this store to do this merchandising reset. And one night she called me and she goes, hey, uh, I have a job for you uh, tonight. It's in Bakersfield, right? That's a good two to three hour drive from here. And so I was like, all right, no problem. And it was overnight work. So we would like drive out there and it was graveyard shift stuff because we would do all these resets in stores you know, while no one was there. And so I'd drive the two to three hours to get to Bakersfield, get there. Walk into the store and the shelves that they have for the merchandise are all the wrong size. So I can't do the reset that I'm supposed to do. And so I call my boss and I say, hey boss, uh, here's what's going on. And her response was, oops, I got my paperwork mixed up. Turn around, go home. I'm like, <laughs> I just drove for two or three hours. Oh, oh, by the way too, yeah, we don't pay for mileage. That was awesome. That was, that was one of my favorites, I'm sure. Um, eventually, I thought working for others was dumb, so I decided to go into business for myself. Um, around 21, I started my first business, and I had a whole bunch of them through my 20s. And, but even in that, I found out that working for myself can sometimes be just as difficult, <laughs> if not more difficult, than working for someone else. You know, when you have a business, you, know, you can find that working for clients and customers can oftentimes be worse than having a bad boss or a difficult boss, you know? And when it comes to work, um, some uh, guys that study these types of things say that on average, one third of our life is spent working. A third of our life, birth to death, is spent working or being at work or in the workplace. They've estimated that in the average life, it's about 90,000 hours that is put in at work. So next time you're at work and you're just like, man, this day is dragging and you're looking at the clock, just think, 90,000 hours and you're done, right? Of course, they say the other third is spent sleeping, which, which I like, you know, and the remaining third is spent on everything else, right? All the personal time and family stuff. So it stands to reason, though, that since a third of our life is spent at work, working in, in a vocational concept, who we are how we conduct ourselves, our example, our witness at work is incredibly important, is incredibly important. And this is what Peter is addressing here. 
in verses 18 through 21, although he is addressing it through the lens of the social climate of the time, and we'll talk about that in a little bit. But remember, the section of, of Peter's letter that we're in right now, he's been encouraging the believers to live in such a way as to leave in the world a very persuasive Christian testimony. That's what he's been saying. That's what he's been teaching. He's been talking about the behavior of the believers and to live in such a way that the witness, the testimony we leave is a good one, right? And the reason is, is because the world is always watching the believers. The world is always watching to see why we do what we do, why we believe what we believe, and really why they would ever want to do what we do and believe what we believe, right? You know, back in a Verse 12 of chapter 2, he said, conduct yourselves honorably among the Gentiles. Now, that word Gentiles there was just basically a, a Jewish way to say non-believers, as, as Peter himself, Jewish, was writing to what I think was primarily a Jewish audience, but it was a, a mixed church at this time. But then he gives us three specific examples of how to live our lives in the world in such a way that leaves a good, enduring, persuasive Christian testimony. Last week, we talked about um, what that means in conduct of our submission to the government, right? Submission to the authorities that are around us. Even when those authorities around us are ungodly, even when those governments around us are, are, are anti-Christ, how are we to conduct ourselves so that Christians, that we, so that we are seen as good witnesses of what we profess to believe in who God is and what God wants? Tonight, we're looking at the relationship between employee and employer, and the historical context happens to be the relationship between the house slave or the house, um, um, household slaves and their masters. And then next week, or no, actually Sunday, because now we're, we're going to be going Wednesday to Sunday. I'm just going to keep going right through where we're at. And so if you happen to be here on a Sunday and you're like, oh, I missed the previous study, it's on YouTube, right? Go watch it. Go see it. You know, we live in this wonderful day and age where if you miss church on the day church happens, you can still hear the Bible study. You can still get the content. So take advantage of that. So Sunday, we'll be then looking at the, the relationship between wife and husband um, and really... Uh, he specifically narrows in on the relationship between a believing wife and a non-believing husband and how proper living and conduct even in that situation is meant to be in such a way that it leaves a persuasive Christian testimony. And so, but tonight we're talking about the employee-employer relationship and so let's pray and we'll dive into it. Father, we love you so much. God, we thank you. We can't thank you enough, Lord, even if we spent all the lifetimes. God, for the salvation you've given us, the life you've given us, the new life, God, how you've come into our lives and taken out our hearts of stone and given us hearts of flesh. God, that you have made our spirit alive, God, as we have been born again. And that as our spirit in, it, in its born again existence is connected to you, God, you have just changed who we are. Lord, that we have been set free from the sin that beset us, the sin that controlled us, Lord. We have conquered sin and death, Lord, through Jesus Christ. And yet, God, upon our salvation, as much as we would like it, you don't take us home. We're still here in this earth. We're still here on this earth. And God, I believe we're here for a purpose, Lord. Your word tells us that we are to go forth and to make disciples of all nations to preach the gospel, 
that the people who don't not yet have salvation, that don't yet know you, would have that opportunity to come to know you, God. And we are the vessels that you have chosen to work through for that purpose. God, the very reason we gather together and study your word collectively, congregationally, Lord, and on our own, the very reason we do that is to know you more, that we would become more like you, more conformed to your image, that through that, Lord, the world would see you and who you are and what you desire for them, Lord, in saving them, in guiding them, in teaching them, and all that comes with a relationship with you, God. And so, Lord, tonight as we look at this uh, very specific example of how are we to conduct ourselves as believers in this world when it comes to the employer-employee relationship, God, that we would be encouraged, we would be challenged if we need be. But Lord, that we would come to that place of being the people you've called us to be in one-third of our entire lives, that we would be lights for the gospel, that we would be people that non-believers would look at and say, there's something different about you. I want to know why you're different and we would have that opportunity to share hope with them. Lord, we love you. We thank you. Encourage us tonight. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. All right, let's read the verses together. It starts in verse 18 of 1 Peter chapter 2. It says, Household slaves, submit to your masters with all reverence, not only to the good and gentle ones, but also to the cruel. For it brings favor if, because of a consciousness of God, Someone endures grief from suffering unjustly. For what credit is there if when you do wrong and you are beaten, you endure it? But when you do what is good and suffer, if you endure it, this brings favor with God. For you were called to this because Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example that you should follow in his steps. As I mentioned earlier, one-third of our lives on average is spent working. And because so much of our lives is spent working, and when I say working, I mean in the context of a vocational job, employment, business even, um, for believers, what that means is that our workplace is a stage that really unfolds the grace of God before unbelievers. It's a stage we get to stand on to display the grace of Almighty God. It's an amazing opportunity to make an impact in our world. It really is. You know, Jesus said in Matthew 5, 16, he said, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father in heaven. Now, although I've had plenty of opportunity and and great opportunity being in pastoral ministry and, and even before I was a pastor just working at the church and laboring, I've had many great opportunities for ministry, but some of the best years of ministry in my life were when I worked in the secular workplace when I did business in and amongst the secular world, right? I was able to reach people there in those places that would never in a million years think of stepping foot in the church. They would never in a million years think, I'm gonna go to church on Sunday or Wednesday or you know some other time. These are people that would never for in a million years click on a YouTube video to watch a sermon preached at a a church. And, And I had the opportunity to reach these people people that really had no interest in God. And so in my workplace, in my secular vocation, prior to to be involved in in full-time ministry, I spent weeks and months with such people and had so many opportunities to have conversations with them about God, about Christianity, about, about who I was and why I believed what I believed. 
You know, and sometimes I think it's true that the impact you can make in your workplace is far greater than the impact any pastor or evangelist can make. Why? Because you're there. You're there. You're there day in and day out with those people. You're there if it's a full-time job, eight hours a day with these people, you know, working with them, being an example to them. And so the verses before us tonight, they give us four things um, that, that, that we derive four principles from. Um, and they're things that if we could learn and master, our jobs will never be the same. If we could learn and master these things and apply these things in our lives, our jobs will never be the same. The, the tedium, the, the tension, the, the labor will give way to a higher motive, a higher purpose, one that, that I think can bring authentic joy and authentic deep satisfaction while you're there working in that place. And so these four things is going to start out with a, just a practical command. Then he's going to um, put forth a potential complication with the command, a powerful consideration for us to look at, and then really a personal calling. And if these things become the very fabric of our work ethic, I really truly believe it'll change our work life forever. It'll change your work life forever, especially if you find yourself laboring in a secular environment. So verse 18, we get the practical command that he gives us. He says, household slaves, submit to your masters with all reverence. That's the practical command there. Now that term household slaves in other translations is translated servants, right? Um, Servants is what the word means, but I think in, in some ways, translating it as servants kind of waters down <laughs> the, the reality of the situation here, you know, because during the time that this letter was written, during the time of the Roman Empire, the workforce was slaves, slavery. People that were either forced into work with no rights and no pay, or people who voluntarily indentured themselves into work to pay off debts or to pay off other situations, but slavery was indeed the workforce of the day. Now, although in our modern perspective and from our modern perspective, when we think of slavery, it's abhorrent, right? It's, it's disgusting, it's gross. It's like, no way, you know, that, that's, that's been abolished, right? And then in modern days, we have things like um, um, sex trafficking and that type of slavery, which is just abhorrent on a whole different level, you know, but, but the concept of slavery being a normal thing is just so foreign to our modern world. But, but at the time of this letter, it was normal. It was normal life. It was normal culture of the time. And so slavery 2,000 years ago, it was a very established institution. It was how society functioned. I think I mentioned this maybe last week, but at the time, uh, some historians believe that during the height of the Roman Empire, um, and during the time that, that, that uh, really specifically that this letter was written, that in the Roman Empire there was three slaves to every one free person. Some more conservative historians say that, that about half of the Roman Empire was slaves. Slaves did all the work, okay? It's important to note that that phrase there that is, that is in the text, household slaves, that is not the typical Greek word we find in other places of the New Testament when you find people referring, them, referring to themselves or others as slaves. As Paul would refer to himself as a bond slave or a bond servant of Jesus Christ, right? The Greek word for that is doulos, and that's the word we're uh, most familiar with. And doulos simply meant that, that a person was the property of, a, of another person, that they were um, completely controlled um, 
by something or someone else. And so you have this word doulos that you would see translated slave or servant. But the word here for household slaves is a Greek word that's called oiketai, right? And oiketai meant a household servant or a household slave. And what it indicated was someone who held a closer relation to the family they worked for than other slaves. So when, when we think slavery in our modern lens, I think we think of the most recent slavery that, that, that existed in the world with, with blacks in the South and in other countries that have enslaved different people. And it was, it was a different type of concept. It was still slavery, but it was more like household servants. That's what this word is referring to. Um, the reason I point that out is, is this phrase household slaves in the Roman Empire could refer to anybody that was required to work in a household under the ownership of someone else. This could be the janitor. This could be a doctor, right? Doctors weren't held in the esteem that they are today in the sense of like, oh, they make so much money and they're so, you know, so much educated. No, they were just considered a part of the slave environment, the slave culture. And so you could have slaves that were very well educated. You had slaves that were educators themselves, teachers who would teach the kids in these households and, 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 and they, would, they would educate. You had people that were managers of estates and they were slaves. They were slaves. Now, some, as I said earlier, were slaves because they were forced to. Uh, Rome would go out and fight a battle and capture the enemy soldiers and force those soldiers into, into servitude. But then you had others that were slaves because they chose to be for various reasons, to pay off debts, or some would be, be in slavery and they would earn their freedom, but they loved their masters so much that they came back and they said, Master, I just, I want to continue to work for you as a bond slave, Right? But we have to remember that Peter is writing to Christians, many of who held these ha household slave positions, right? Um, in today's lens, the reason I point all that out is in today's lens, we would call this employee, all right? We don't have slavery today in the same concept that they had it in. And although there is, there is much difference between an employee today and even a household slave then, to, to apply the scripture and what it means to us, the concept would be someone who is working for another person. Um, but just so we get the gravity of what God is teaching us here, we do need to fully understand the cultural context. Um, back then, some masters were, were wonderful, they were great masters. They were fair. They were kind. They loved their slaves. They took care of them, provided for them, treated them in many cases just like members of the family. But unfortunately, you had other masters that were cruel and harsh. Regardless of what kind of slave one was, whether one was in this household servant position or whether they were something like a captured soldier forced to working quarries or whatnot, regardless of what kind of slave they were, slaves had no rights. They had very little protection. Slaves generally in society of the time were regarded as non-persons. They were simply regarded as pieces of property. And again, this type of slavery at the time had been a normal part of society for, for, for generations. It was just ingrained. This is how things operated. But if a slave tried to run away and got caught, the culture of the day meant that that slave would, would often be branded on their forehead with the letter F for fugitive. And so they would have this brand on their forehead for the rest of their lives where, um, unfortunately, what happened is they would be treated even worse for the rest of their lives. And slaves could be put to death with any type of trial. I mean, it was a very different situation than, than employment today, okay? 
Now, some of you might have been like, you just described my job, right? <laughs> you know, um, but that's another conversation. Um, but with this background in mind, okay, Peter says, household slaves, submit to your masters with all reverence. Can you imagine reading that? What? Now, you notice he didn't say submit only if they're good masters. Because we're going to see in a little bit that he says not only if they're good, but also if they're cruel. He also didn't say, hey, slaves, rebel, rise up, go on strike, unionize, lobby. He says submit. It's the same word we looked at last week when it says submit to the government authorities. The word is hupotasso in the Greek, and it means um, to voluntarily cooperate or to voluntarily place oneself under one's authority. It's the same concept we talked about last week as submitting to the government, even when it's an ungodly government, right? So what Peter is saying here to the slaves of the time, use your slavery in such a manner to compel someone to listen and to take seriously the message of the gospel that you carry within you. Use your slavery in such a manner that your witness is sound, that your witness is able to be heard. Now, just to be clear, slavery is wrong. I think it's wrong in every context, right? Um, the Bible never says that slavery is right, but some people have a problem with scriptures like this because they're like, why didn't Peter tell the slaves, rise up and rebel against this unjust condition of slavery, right? Why didn't the Bible condemn slavery just, just, just outright? Well, I believe one of the reasons is that slavery, as I've said a few times, it was just such a part of the social fabric of these ancient cultures. It was what was normal it was how society normally functioned, and it was something that was such, it was ingrained far predating Christianity for centuries, not just the Roman culture, but every culture. Virtually every culture around the world at the time, slavery was a part of their social fabric. Two, Christians were such a minority at the time that they held no political power of any kind, nor did they have any political voice. And so, saying Christian church, rise up against this institution that is a foundational, bedrock, functional piece of society, rise up against it, would have simply just, just, just painted the church and Christians as political agitators, political dissidents. But I think what's more important than any of that is that Jesus didn't come to change the culture per se. You remember last week we looked at, he was here to change the heart of man. They tried to trap him with the coin. Hey, the coin, should we pay taxes or not? And Jesus' answer is, whose picture's on the coin? Caesar's? We'll give to Caesar's what's Caesar's. I'm not here to talk to you about taxes. I'm here to talk to you about your heart. So give to God what is God's. But changing the heart of man is the very thing that changes culture. Is the very thing that changes culture. The New Testament taught enough principles of how mankind should be, right? How God wanted us to live, how God wanted us to treat one another, how God wanted us to consider one another. The New Testament, God's word taught enough principles that eventually slave, slavery would become undermined in the Roman culture as a direct result of Christianity. 
As Christianity grew in the Roman Empire, eventually there was enough people, enough Christians in the Roman Empire that started looking at life differently, started looking at people differently, started looking at slaves differently. And it served really to deal a death blow to slavery. They started looking at people with compassion. They started looking at slaves not as property, but no, they're, they're human beings too. <laughs> they're people too, right? They shouldn't be treated like this. Eventually, um, one of the, the Roman emperors passed a law that says you can't brand their forehead anymore when they run away. Right? And we think, how long did it take for them to come to that conclusion? Because that's a pretty simple one. But it still took time. But people started to see them not as a piece of property. And so slavery, by the end of the Roman Empire, largely went bye-bye. But slavery still persisted in places. But if you look down through history, you'll see that where slavery persisted, there was often anti-slavery movements that would pop up, often led by Christians. They said, you can't treat the people, right? There's dignity, there's, there, there's all this stuff. And so Christian principles, when they per permeate a culture, change the culture. I really believe that. Um, so when we say culture war today, that's, that's what I'm talking about, you know? We have a Christian culture that teaches love and grace and dignity and, and, and all kinds of stuff, right? And we're fighting against a culture that says, no, we want to push all these dark, evil, wicked things. Christianity preaches a culture that says, look, intimacy is, is, is sacred and, and it's meant in the context of a man and a woman who are married and culture goes, nah, it's just a product to peddle. Christianity says honesty and trustworthiness and, you know, it teaches all these things and the culture's like, no, lie to get to the top, <laughs> right? We're, we're, we're contrary, but as, as the Christians go out taking these concepts with them and taking the characteristics of Christ, as we talked about Sunday with them, and they go into their culture and their, especially their workplaces where they spend a third of their life and they bring all of this stuff with them and they live it, it will have an effect. It will have an effect. And it may be one person. But if you affect one person for the gospel and they come to know Jesus and they become changed and their life becomes changed and their values become changed and their culture becomes changed, now there's two of you. And guess what? If you both go out and do the same thing again, now there's four of you. And that is literally how Christianity spread around the entire world and has changed cultures, and has toppled governments, and has done so much. So the principle, first principle here. <laughs> I'm gonna go fast, I'm already running out of time. Okay, first principle, right? He said that it was a practical command, household slaves submit to your masters with all reverence. Here's the principle. Work hard and work well. That's the principle for Christians. Work hard and work well. If you're an employee, work hard and work well. If you're a business owner, serve your customers, your clients, work hard, work well, right? Be the kind of worker that any employer would want to hire. Don't cheat, don't steal, don't, don't be late all the time. Be trustworthy, be faithful, be honest, be a Christian. That's really the principle here. Notice it says, submit to your masters with all reverence. That word reverence means to be respectful, right? Other translations say, submit to your masters with all fear. Right? 
It's not fear. It's not the cowering fear. It's a no, you're, you're the authority. And so I respect that. And so I'm going to behave in a way that is respectful because you're the authority. It means don't be bitter. Don't be contrary. Don't be a difficult employee. Be, be the type of person that your employer says, you're a blessing when you're here. Don't be the type of person walking around with this dark cloud of negativity always floating over your head and, and, and complaining. But work hard, work well. That's the principle. The second thing that we get here is, is the potential complication, right? Verse 18, household slaves. Submit to your masters with all reverence, not only to the good and gentle ones, but also to the cruel. I touched on this a little bit already, but, but we should know something here that not every boss you might ever work for is going to be good and gentle. Right? Just like not every government you might find yourself living under is going to be good. Sometimes we'll find ourselves working under cruel, cruel bosses. That word cruel means dishonest, immoral, twisted, harsh, and crooked. And guess what? For employees working under that type of boss, the employees are going to suffer. There is going to be suffering. Verse 19, Peter says that they'd be enduring grief from suffering unjustly. Why would employees under such a boss suffer? Because he's cruel. He's mean. Right? This is the type of boss that would just, just has it out for you, that wants to give you the most difficult jobs, wants to give you more work than everybody else, right? Wants to give you the worst schedule all the time, wants to deny your request for time off constantly. He's just cruel and twisted and mean. And this brings us to the second uh, principle. Based upon this complication, and here's the principle, life is a mix of good and bad. So use both to advertise your faith. Use both to advertise your faith. You know, you're going to have good bosses. And it's easy to be joyful and thankful and when everything's great and you're working for someone that's just like, they're just awesome, right? But when you're working for a cruel boss, man, it's hard. You want to complain. You want to have a bad attitude. Forget them. And psh, I'm not going to do what they tell me. I'm going to cut corners. I'm going to do all this stuff, right? You're going to have good bosses. You're going to have bad ones. You're going to have great jobs where, where they just ask you to do everything that, that's reasonable and in line. And then you're going to have tough jobs where, where they're going to ask you to do distasteful things. And they're going to ask you to do things you hate. And they're going to make life intentionally difficult for you. Both are going to come. So use both to advertise your faith, to preach the gospel in your behavior. You know, on one hand, if you are employed, and it's been a difficult couple years for a lot of people, you know, if you are employed and you're able to collect a paycheck and pay your bills and stuff, you know, be thankful. Be thankful you have that, because there's a lot of people that don't. There's a lot of people struggling. There's a lot of people that don't know. And I also know we live in a culture where, you know, people are starting to be like, you know what? Forget that. That boss can't treat me that way, and I'm just going to quit, right? And people are quitting left and right. And, and I'm not advocating for, for submitting yourself to, to, to abuse or anything like that. What I am saying is that as a believer, if you're in a difficult situation, to look at that situation as more than just your paycheck, as more than just your job, because it really is a mission field. And God might have you there for a very specific reason to be a light for the gospel for that boss. 
to come to know Jesus Christ. To say, Lord, I, I, I believe you have me here until you don't have me here anymore, right? You have me here for a reason. You see, when you, when you look at your difficult situation as an employee, and look, it says right here, look, submit. Submit to your masters, not just the good ones, but even the cruel ones. Submit to them. Voluntarily place yourself under their authority. Do what they say. Why? Well, we're going to get to that in a little bit. But when you say, okay, God, you have me here, you have me in this difficult situation, and I am going to be the best Christian I possibly can be in all my Christian characteristics as I serve and work here, it elevates your position. It changes your attitude. It gives you a greater purpose. The third thing we see is a very powerful consideration, especially when you have a bad boss. Look at verse 19. He tells us, submit yourself with all reverence, right? Not only to the good and gentle ones, but also the cruel. And he goes, for it brings favor if, because of a consciousness of God, someone endures grief from suffering unjustly. Why voluntarily place yourself under the authority of a cruel boss? Favor, Favor, right. Why do this with a respectful attitude that displays the character of Christ? And sure, There's nothing wrong with saying, you know what, I'm going to leave this job and go get another one. That's fine. We have that right, right? Slaves didn't have that right at the time. We have that right today in our society as employees. But why would you do all that? Because when you do good and suffer, it says it brings favor. That word favor means something that adds to your reputation or something that simply adds to reputation. Other translations say it is commendable. This is commendable when someone endures grief from suffering unjustly. What's the idea here? Well, he goes, if you suffer grief from suffering unjustly because of a consciousness of God, it brings favor into your life. That word consciousness, the consciousness of God, the word consciousness means the psychological faculty that distinguishes between right and wrong and then comforts you when you do right or afflicts you when you do wrong. The faculty, the psychological faculty to go, this is the right thing to do, this is the wrong thing to do. And when you pick the right thing, you go, man, I feel good. When you pick the wrong thing, you go, man, I feel like a jerk, right? But it's the consciousness of God, who he is, his character. The idea is this. It reflects well on Christianity when we do good. Even when we're suffering unjustly. It reflects well on you and your faith. It reflects well on God. But not only that, it ends up bringing blessing and encouragement and empower into our lives when we choose to do the right thing, when we choose to do the Christ-like thing when we're suffering unjustly. This stupid boss will not ever give me my schedule that I'm asking for. You can quit and go get another job, sure. But I'm suggesting to stop for a moment and say, God, do you want me to remain here for the sake of that person's soul. And if so, instead of going, well, if they're not going to give me the schedule on, I'm going to show up late and leave early and da-da-da-da. It's like, no, I'm still going to be a good employee. And I'm still going to demonstrate the characters that I preach. Being a good witness in your workplace, think about this, right? For it brings favor if because of a consciousness of God, someone endures grief from suffering unjustly. When you're a good witness in your workplace, through your behavior and your conduct, 
especially when you're under the authority of difficult people. What is it telling you there? It's good for your mental health. Your spiritual mental health is enhanced when you choose to do the Christ-like thing. It's that sense of peace that I'm doing the right thing. I'm doing what God wants me to do. I could get through this. I'm okay. Isn't that amazing how the Bible just says, look, you want to stop being depressed and sad and upset and just do what I tell you to do. Now look at verse 20. He goes, for what credit is there if when you do wrong and are beaten, you endure it? But when you do what is good and suffer, if you endure it, this brings favor with God. Context, slaves at the time, as we said, had no rights, right? They could be physically assaulted in a moment's notice by a master. Modern context, what he's saying here is if you're a bad worker, one who mouths off, one who comes in late, one who doesn't get the job done, if you're a very bad worker and you suffer the consequences to do, of, of doing so, uh, it's kind of your own fault. Don't get mad at God, Right? Don't throw your witness out the window. I'm not going to be a good Christian anymore because it's your fault. You're a bad worker. Duh, right? Don't blame God for losing your job if you're a bad worker. Don't blame God for problems or, or you know, put on probation. <laughs> if, if it's because of you, it's because of you. But when you're doing everything right, when you're still being the exemplary employee, when you're still being the, the good Christian worker in that, context and you're, in, in that context and you're still suffering unjustly, he says if you endure it, which means if you take it patiently, if you voluntarily allow it to happen without adjusting your conduct and adjusting your attitude, this glorifies God. God is greatly pleased when the behavior of his children proclaims the very truth that they preach. God is greatly pleased and glorified when his kids, through their behavior in the workplace, proclaim the truth that he wants people to know. When we turn the other cheek, when we go the extra mile, right? All that stuff Jesus taught. He says, when you do that, God is glorified. But not only is he glorified, it shines a light on the gospel we preach. And this gets down to the very motive for, for why we work as believers, right? Is it just to get the paycheck? That's important. Is it just to make a living? That's important. Is it just to provide for our families? That's very important. But could there be another level of motivation? Another level of motivation that, 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 that sits above all of that? I believe so, and we just read it. The motivation that God is pleased, the gospel is presented and our spiritual mental health is maintained. Or as the Bible puts it, your joy will be full. And again, remember, think back 2,000 years to those reading this letter, right? They've been beaten, physically assaulted by bad masters, given unreasonable tasks, asked to work unreasonable amount of hours, right? Far more than labor laws would, would possibly allow today. They had no unions. There were no labor laws, no resource departments to appeal to when they had uh, problems with their boss, right? They couldn't bring a civil suit against their employer. Some of these slaves were, 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 were slaves to cruel, harsh, mean masters, and life was difficult. And knowing all of that, Peter, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, still wrote what he wrote. So what does that mean for us today? Who are protected by laws, 
who can look at our employer and go, oh, you're going to not pay me overtime? Hmm? Who have recourse to, to protect ourselves and our rights. How much more so in our, our environment? Sometimes we do suffer in our workplace, and sometimes it's because we're cutting the corners and not finishing the jobs and getting in trouble. And when that happens, it's not God's fault. When that happens, that doesn't mean, oh, you don't have to act like a good Christian anymore because after all, quite the opposite. We get in trouble, we get mad at God, and we're not remembering or caring that we represent God Almighty in our workplace. We represent God Almighty to our, to our boss there. And, and you know, by being a poor worker, you know, God isn't pleased, right? By being a poor worker, God Almighty isn't happy with that. And then, and then the favor doesn't come, and then we get all twisted, mad and upset and depressed and sad because... You see how the opposite of good spiritual mental health happens when we're not doing what we're called to do as believing Christians in the workplace? But yeah, sometimes we suffer simply because our boss is cruel. And you go through the Bible, there are so many people that are treated unjustly at their work. You had Daniel, right, accused of wrongdoing even though he didn't do anything wrong. You have Joseph who was accused of wrongdoing People lied about him. He was put in prison, right, because of the lies, lies of others. And at the end of all of it, he said, you know what? What you meant for evil, God meant for good. But how can a person live victoriously when they're treated like this? When you're under a cruel boss? Well, here's the answer, and here's the principle. Take God to work with you. Don't leave him at home, right? Don't leave him in your car. Take them to work with you. This is the principle that of, of this powerful consideration. Think about it, guys. Think about it. Consider what Peter is saying here. He's like, take God to work with you. If you want to transform any job, any workplace that you're in, transform it into, into a place of real joy despite difficult bosses and stuff, take God to work with you. In the New Living Translations, Ephesians chapter 6, verse 7 says this, Work with enthusiasm as though you were working for the Lord rather than for people. That is a critical, critical principle for Christians. In Ephesians 6, 6, he goes, Don't only work while being watched as people pleasers, but as slaves of Christ. Do God's will from your heart. Don't work with an eye on the clock, you know, okay, I'm going to milk the clock as much as I can. Don't, don't work with an eye like, okay, well, is the boss around the corner? Oh, boss is coming. Work hard, work hard, work hard. Okay, boss left. Okay, slack off. He's like, don't, don't do that. Work as if the Lord, God himself, is your boss. He's the one you're doing the work for. He goes, work like that regardless of the workplace you find yourself in. And if you're like, I hate it here and this is difficult, God, open up a door. If you want me to go somewhere else, pray about that. But while you're there, don't slack off on your witness and start being a really poor employee that then is going to, oh, you know, Christians, I ain't going to hire Christians anymore because they're fill in the blank, right? The fourth thing we see here is a personal calling, verse 21. He says, you were called to this. Because Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example that you should follow in his steps. Called to what? What have we been talking about, right? Called to having jobs where you have a really great employer. Awesome. Submit to them. But also having jobs where your employer is really cruel. Submitting to them as well. 
You're going to be treated wrongly. It's going to happen. You're going to be treated unjustly. You're going to suffer because of it. And guess what? God says, we're called to it. (laughs) We're called to it. Why? Because Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example that you should follow in his steps. And that's the fourth, fourth principle to understand. We are called as Christians in this world to not be have lives of cushiness and no problem and no difficulty and no challenge. That is not what we're called to in this world. Jesus said, look, I've been persecuted. You're going to be persecuted, right? We live and exist in a world as believers that hates everything we stand for, that is contrary to everything we hold dear. How can we not think we're going to suffer difficulty and persecution? in that one-third of our entire lives where we're in places surrounded by people who hate everything we stand for. We are called to this because of who we follow, and who we follow is Jesus Christ. We follow him. And what happened to him? It says he suffered, he was persecuted, he was crucified, having never done anything wrong. That's who we follow. We follow a suffering Savior. Guess what? That means from time to time, believers, you're going to find yourselves called to suffer for the sake of your witness and the sake of the gospel in your workplace. Suffering for the gospel, suffering to maintain our witness, however, can be very beneficial for us, right? It can keep us pure. The Bible has so many illustrations about how the refining fire brings purity, but if the fire's hot, it hurts, right? Nothing purifies us like suffering. It keeps us humble. Paul, we know, he was, he was prone to some pride because he got to see these wonderful revelations from God that nobody else got to see, right? And he was prone to being puffed up because of it, and so he tells us in, in his letters that then he was given a thorn in the side, some type of suffering in his life. And he says, look, I am grateful for it. Why? It keeps me humble. Suffering also keeps us dependent. You know, when we were brought low through suffering, we depend on God like no other time, right? We never pray like when things are bad. Is it any wonder why God allows periods of suffering in our lives? Is it any wonder why God allows us to sometimes find ourselves working 90 hours of our existence under really horrible and cruel masters. God's plan isn't just that we show up. It's that we grow up. For you were called to this, he says. And so, yeah, one-third of our lives, it's at work. One-third of our lives is in and in, in, around and with people that don't know the Lord. And so many of those people that we find ourselves around, they're, they're not saved. And sure, another third of our life is devoted to our family, those we love, those who love us, our church, our personal time, right? A third of our life is devoted to that, and we're just like, this part is wonderful. But we can't neglect the calling that we have in and around our vocational lives to live in such a way as to leave before the world a very persuasive Christian testimony. And this can often involve biting our tongues. This can often involve turning the other cheek, going the extra mile, suffering the indignity, taking on the extra work that they never give anybody else, and doing it with the right attitude, enduring it patiently so that our witness as God's children is maintained and whole, 
so that our own lives can be open to receive the favor that comes from God, so that the God we serve would be pleased and glorified, but ultimately we do it so that those who don't know God would come to know him as their Lord and Savior. Amen? All right, let's pray. Father, we thank you, God. We love you. We receive the challenge, Lord. Um, God, you know, some of us at times find ourselves working under and for people that are very, very difficult. Lord, I pray for those people right now, God, that you would just fill them afresh with your Holy Spirit. God, that is tomorrow they, they may go back to work or the next day they report into work, God, that they would go in with a fresh, brand new attitude, Lord, knowing that they're there working as unto you, not that bad boss. That, God, while they're there, they're there as a missionary in a mission field to proclaim and preach the gospel, not just through words, but how they work. And so, God, they would be employees that are trustworthy and faithful and on time and hard workers working well. God, so that they would be people who display a testimony, that display a witness that says, I'm a changed person and I'm not a liar and I'm not a cheat and I'm not a thief and I'm not a slacker and I'm not (laughs) cutting corners, but I'm here to work hard. And that God, that that witness would chip away at the anger and the hatred and the frustration and even the sadness and the sorrow that, that, that grips so many people and sometimes it's our bosses that are so angry and so cruel and so full of hate because they are so hurt and they are so broken and they need the gospel of Jesus Christ. So Lord, give the, uh, those of us that are in those situations, God, as employees or if we're business owners and we have difficult clients, Lord, even flipping it, if we're the employer and we have some difficult employees, Lord, to be very, very concerned about the witness we portray to those we serve. That God, although in in our day and age we have the freedom to quit a job, that we don't have to worry about our bosses coming through and beating us physically, But God, it was to those in that very situation that you said, submit to them with all reverence. And so God, may we take that that call, that calling on our life to represent you rightly in the workplaces we find ourselves in. God, we're so grateful for the jobs and the bosses we have where we get to work under under people that are good and gentle. And, And just, God, thank you so much for that, Lord. But God, those times where you bring us into places that that are difficult, Lord. May we seek your face for the strength to be who you're calling us to be. May we at least pause to ask you where you want us before we just up and quit and become bad, poor people while we're working there, Lord. Poor employees, God. But say, God, who do you want us to be here? Why do you want us here? Who needs the gospel, Lord? And that we would be ready and willing to not just collect a paycheck, to not just provide for our needs, which is all important, but understanding, but to understand, God, that maybe you're calling us there to be the very light that someone there needs to see. So bless us, God. Keep us. Let your face shine upon us that it would shine out and through us to the world we work in. We love you so much. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. All right, guys, let's worship.